Chris Wendelkin, and this is On the Line, my NBA podcast where I talk to friends of mine living around the country about all things hoops. We do some deep dives, drafts, news, and notes from around the league. Thanks for tuning in. If you're new to the show, you can tweet at me at onthelinepod underscore pod. Find me on Instagram. Send me any NBA questions, whether it's uh, real-life NBA questions, fantasy basketball questions, whatever, onthelinepod at gmail.com. Please check out previous episodes on our website. That's a new one, www.onthelinepodcast.com. Hop into a deep dive, check out a draft. It's all up there. That's onthelinepodcast.com. Last, if you could please rate, review, subscribe to the show in Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. Write us something nice. Uh, It goes a long way, and it's greatly appreciated. All right, welcome back. Hope you had a great week. Thanks for tuning in. This is the follow-up to part two of the Supersonics Deep Dive. If you've missed part one, hit pause, go back, listen to last week's episode. This one will be here waiting for you whenever you're caught up. There is a tragic weight to the Supersonics leaving Seattle, or I should say the Supersonics being stolen from Seattle. There's an almost biblical nature to the manner in which the city, the fans, the community in the Pacific Northwest was betrayed sold down the river. And frankly, there's, there's, there's blood on a lot of hands. Ownership, politicians, Commissioner Stern, uh, NBA owners. You know, the NBA owners gave approval to the Supersonics relocating to Oklahoma City in a 28-2 vote by the NBA's Board of Governors. Only Mark Cuban and Paul Allen voted against the move. So many people in positions of power could have done something and, and every time they pass the buck. Yet in researching the heist of the Supersonics, one thing remains abundantly clear. The fans in Seattle are second to none. People in Seattle love NBA basketball. They love the history of the Sonics. There is a culture and a pride. There's a history and an enthusiasm that's unmatched. On April 13th, 2008, the Sonics played their final home game in Seattle at the Key Arena, defeating the Dallas Mavericks 99-95. to The arena was bananas all night, but in the final moments of the game, implored by Kevin Durant, Jeff Green, and Nick Collison waving their arms, the crowd erupted into deafening cheers. Save our Sonics. The story of the Sonics being stolen from Seattle is a tough one, but let's hope it isn't in vain. Let's hope in the end there's some light at the end of the tunnel. These are the Seattle Supersonics. This is part two, and this is on the line. Nate McMillan, who was our homegrown... Mr. Sonic. Mr. Sonic, Nate McMillan, our homegrown leader, goes to Portland, Mm -hmm. which was very awkward. Nobody felt good about it. Uh, It was made more awkward because his main assistant, Dwayne Casey, had already gone to coach Minnesota. So suddenly we got nobody. So he was replaced by Bob Weiss, who went 13 and 17. Then Bob Hill, who went 22 and 30. And eventually by PJ Carlismo, Mm -hmm. at which point we knew that we were in a computer simulation (laughs) in which a bunch of people in Oklahoma were trying to punch us in the balls over and over and over again. Yeah. So uh, Carlismo was preceded by the big move on October 25th, 2006, when Clayton Bennett bought the team. Now the year is 2007. The Sonics select Kevin Durant 
out of the University of Texas with the number two overall pick behind Greg Oden. They trade, at this point, they've traded Ray Allen. The night of the draft, they trade Ray Allen and the 35th pick of the second round, which winds up being Glenn Big Baby Davis in the 2007 draft to the Boston Celtics for the rights to the fifth pick, which is Jeff Green, Wally Zerbiak, and Delonte West. And this is this is the Presti era. That's correct. Point, right? That's yeah, correct. We've got Mr. San Antonio Spur, you know, front office guy. I picked Tony Parker. I picked Manu Ginobili. I am the man. The young hotshot guy. So for the first time since ever, mm-hmm. the Sonics have a good GM. And then on July 11th, 2007, the Sonics and the Orlando Magic agreed to a sign and trade for Richard Lewis. So, you know, talking loosely about the 2007-2008 year, it's basically a rebuilding year. It's a youth movement. And, you know, like you and I, Jeremy, we know what this looks like. It's, it's, it's young players taking their lumps. They're going to play young guys playing big minutes and racking up losses. So Durant led rookies that year. He scores 20.3 points per game. He wins rookie of the year. The Sonics post a franchise worst record of 20 and 62. I mean, they're atrocious, but you know. They were atrocious by design. The you ever f- seen the movie Major League? Totally. Yeah, that is what happened. The Except future- for Clay Bennett is not as cute as the, the owner in Major League. He's actually the opposite of that. The future is bright. You know, like there's no doubt about it. It's like it's it's they are they are they are essentially tanking. You know, like they are like let's keep being bad, let's keep developing young no, but guys. Let's keep this in context because they were also playing a political game. Yes, at the same time. Yes, and the fact that the team was terrible. This yes. is why the major league comparison is important. The fact that the team was terrible was important because they were negotiating for a new stadium deal. Right. Do you, just just from an on the court product standpoint, do you remember being invested? in the young core of this team did it feel promising or was the writing on the wall too apparent with ownership and we are right about to transition into the clay bennett portion of the podcast but i i'm curious in in 2007 2007 2008 can you can a sonics fan feel excited about the promise and the prospects of durant and jeff green and this young core or did it feel like foreboding, like, I know this guy at the top of the food chain here is about to, like, bolt? It's kind of like when you already know that your girlfriend is sleeping with it's someone sleeping else. Sleeping with someone else, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that was pretty much okay. what it was. great. Like, we, we knew <laughs> that it was over. Then, I mean, we from the moment that, and that's why it's hard to precede yeah. what happened, and I've got a whole litany of, yeah. I've, got, I've got the, you know, the, the, the masthead for everybody who is involved in this larceny. But, like, you knew. Okay. The moment Clay Bitt and Bennett bought yeah. the team, it, we, we knew we were screwed. There were, there were a bunch of dumb, naive Sonic fans. Yeah. Then let's just dive into it. Um, so, we, so we'll loosely call this chapter, you know, incompetent billionaires and city government people and, and, and an ownership. It's really the ownership heist. It's the ownership heist. It's when Oklahoma City stole the Sonics. So to recap uh, for the audience listening at this point, so we have this, there's this beautiful golden age of basketball in Seattle, Gary Payton, the glove, Kemp, George Carl, 
And there's this wonderful six, seven year run of some incredibly exciting basketball and the runs to the finals, the loss to the Jordan Bulls, Sean Kemp is traded for Vin Baker, right? And then, uh, you know, there's this bizarre twist of fate with, with, with Vin Baker and Kemp having their personal struggles. The NBA lockout happens. Barry Ackerley sells the team to Howard Schultz, the Starbucks CEO in 2001, who despite an outdated facility with the key arena, promises to keep the team in Seattle. Howard Schultz says he's going to keep the team in Seattle. This is a, uh, a dream come true. Uh, I've had a passion for the team. I've been a season ticket holder for the, from the day we got here in Seattle since 1982. What I look forward to doing is doing everything humanly possible to provide Nate McMillan and the coaching staff and Wally and the team with the tools that are possible to bring a world championship back to Seattle. I see the, the team as a fan and uh, I want to do everything I possibly can to create the kind of experience within the arena and do everything I possibly can in the community to uh, bring the level of trust and confidence to the equity of that experience and to the players uh, the way it once was. And it's not only about winning. I, I remember being on the floor in 1996, I believe, when the Seattle Sonics beat Utah Jazz and what that was Jeremy, like. How did people I remember feel nobody about to Howard Schultz going into this process? Like, was there hope or was there skepticism about him owning the team. I imagine as a local guy that, you know, he must have been sincere about wanting to keep the team in Seattle, we, right? We believed it. Yeah. I mean, and, and we had seen sincere local action yeah. very recently because Ken Baring had threatened to move the Seahawks to L.A. and Paul Allen stepped in and took control of them and, and paid for a stadium. So everyone was thinking this is great. Like, this is going to work out. This is like local philanthropy, yeah. like sports philanthropy, call it what you will. Right. So it seemed very... Promising. Promising. And and it was a team that, why would we ever doubt it? I mean, like, they had lost a lot in the last few years. The McIlvain signing leading to Kemp leaving was kind of unforgivable, but Kemp turned out to... Have maybe not issues. have anything else going on. Yeah. So it was working out, and we had Ray, and seemed okay. So Gary Payton holds out a training camp in 2003. He demands a new contract from Howard Schultz, and it becomes increasingly personal. Eventually, Gary Payton reports to camp, but the relationship at that point is fractured. And by 2003, at the, at the trade deadline, one of the more popular Sonics ever, Gary Payton has moved to the Bucks for Ray Allen. This to me was like one of the first marks on Schultz's resume as an owner, where it was like, I'm not sure this guy is totally competent. And he's trying to run a sports franchise like a coffee business and doesn't understand that they're different and you have to approach people differently here. Do you remember anything about this period in time with Gary Payton, the glove being traded out of uh, Seattle? I, we were all very upset and there's no way you trade someone like Peyton and feel good about it. Yeah. I mean, he's a legend like in defense of the organization, that's always going to suck. Yeah. It's always going to suck. Like there's no good way to usher out 
a star player. You know, I, as a Knicks fan, like the, the Knicks traded Patrick Ewing to the Sonics. There was never, that was never going to be a good story for right. the Knicks, right? But that did seem like one of the first marks on Schultz's resume where it was like he handled the Gary Payton situation so well, poorly. What, what, what happened was that it didn't need to be that way. That was the thing that that stuck out to everyone was that he was a maybe the best player to ever play for your team, and we're running him out of town, right. not not in a respectful way, right? You know, and it's not that Seattle has a history of running our best people out of town. Like what they did to Griffey was ridiculous. What they did to Randy was ridiculous. A Rod got the best deal of everybody because he got two hundred fifty million dollars, but for the most part. We're really good at burning our heroes on the way out. So I'm used to it, but it felt screwed up, and it felt like something that Barry Ackerley would not have done. I mentioned that Barry Ackerley sold the team to Howard Schultz in 2001. And I, I mentioned that Schultz made this promise that he would keep the team in Seattle. So that might sound odd to listeners who don't have a full picture here. But the reason that was even in question, the reason that Howard Schultz even felt it was necessary to make a pledge to keep the team in Seattle, of course, was that the arena where the Sonics were playing, the key arena, was much maligned. A lot of people felt that it wasn't an adequate facility for, uh, for people to watch basketball. So that, I should say, colors this entire ownership experience with Howard Schultz. The, and, key, the key arena sort of hovers above the entire ownership of Howard Schultz, whether he would be able to find a new facility, whether he would finance a new facility, was a new facility necessary. It was kind of a buzzworthy subject throughout his entire ownership period. And, and I think it's worth noting as kind of pretext all this, where Seattle was in terms of sports facilities. Yes. So they had redone the the key in 95. Uh, they'd redone, they built Safeco a couple years later. They'd built the Seahawks Stadium the year after that. So they had just done a bunch of um, taxpayer-funded stadiums. So they were a little tired of Taxed it. out. Yeah. <laughs> and And the thing also that's worth looking at is... What is it that the NBA and the Oklahoma investors wanted us to pay for? If you look at what Key Arena was and you look at what the modern NBA arena is, I think you end up with a little bit of a dichotomy. So like for example, I've been looking at I've been looking at the arena near where I live, Barclays, as opposed to Key Arena. And I think there's some interesting comparisons. Like, so, mascots. There's no way you beat a Sasquatch doing trampoline dunks from the three-point line, right? Yeah, no way. And, and the Nets don't even have a mascot. They got rid of the, the Brooklyn Knight because it was creepy and weird. It looked like a combination of, like, Skeletor and various other people. Uh, the crowd, Key Arena was small, but yeah. it was loud. Yeah. It was louder than Barclays has ever been, ever. No question. It's it's like I I hearken back to what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, where I talked about like watching those Sonics games as a kid. That arena again, you know, through my 
wide-eyed childhood. It was like the great Pacific Northwest, 3,000, 4,000 miles away. It was like, it seemed bananas yeah, in was, that place. It may have only been 17,000, 18,000 people. Who cares? Everyone was going crazy. Yeah, Our crowd nuts. was way better. Yeah. So other comparisons, like look at the location. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not going to diss Brooklyn. Like, yeah, you yeah. Know, Barclays is a quarter mile from where I live. But Key Reno is the heart of Seattle right underneath the Space Needle. I mean, it is the middle of the city. It's yeah. a good location. Yeah. That has to be a draw. Um, luxury boxes, advantage, Barclays. Yeah. That is the whole difference, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so who are we talking about? We're talking about rich a bunch people. of rich people rich who people. don't actually yeah. go to games. I, one other comparison, you know, the Barclays looks like, you know, the Death Star if it were covered in mulch. Uh, <laughs> Key Arena looks like a, you know, a pyramid. Yeah. They're both cool. Yeah. That's another draw. But they're both awesome stadiums. There's no way you can tell me that Key Arena was not acceptable based on what I've seen from Barclays. So the year is 2006. So Howard Schultz, at this point, he wants the city to subsidize a new arena. So Howard Schultz, the owner of the Sonics, Starbucks CEO, Wally Walker, the GM, and David Stern attend a city council meeting. And they basically ask the city of Seattle if they care as much about the NBA as much as they do about the MLB and the NFL, both of which received public assistance at this point for new sports arenas. The Seahawks and the Mariners received public funding. What year is this again? This is in 2006. Yeah. Nothing bad about to happen economically in 2006. Evening. This is an extraordinary period for America's economy. Over the past few weeks, many Americans have felt anxiety about their finances and their future. I understand their worry and their frustration. We've seen triple-digit swings in the stock market. Major financial institutions have teetered on the edge of collapse, and some have failed. As uncertainty has grown, many banks have restricted lending. Credit markets have frozen, and families and businesses have found it harder to borrow money. We are in the midst of a serious financial crisis. Basically, Schultz gets a no. Schultz is on record at this point saying, quote, we are not responsible. If the team is sold or moved, the responsibility is on elected officials. So he's making it pretty clear that, like, you know, if they don't get a new arena, you know, the the team's a free agent, (laughs) essentially. Essentially, like, what you see from modern athletes you know, about like just leaving in free agency. That's essentially what he turned the franchise into. He said like, hey, if someone gives us a better offer, we're out of here. So on July 18th, 2006, Howard Schultz calls a press conference to announce that he is selling the team to a group of Oklahoma businessmen led by Clay Bennett. Today, although this is extremely difficult and for me personally disappointing, I'm really proud to be able to announce that after careful analysis of all the possible scenarios, the Basketball Club of Seattle has entered into an agreement with the Professional Basketball Club, LLC, to purchase the Seattle Supersonics and the Seattle Storm. We feel that we have selected the absolute best buyer for our teams in the Professional Basketball Club, LLC, led by Clay Bennett on my left, Chairman of Dorchester Capital, located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Schultz bought the Sonics in 2001 for $200 million. 
By 2006, five years later, the team was valued at $234 million and sold for $350 million to Clay Bennett. Howard Schultz talked a big game. He talked a big game about how he wasn't in the ownership game to make a profit, right? He said that he was just trying to mitigate loss. But the bottom line here tells a very different story. He bought the team for $200 million. He sold it for $350 million. From my simple math, it seems like he made a pretty quick buck over five years. And it seems to me like he sold the team to the highest bidder. And it seems to me like he didn't give a shit about who he was selling the team to. He goes on this PR tour, you know, at this press conference between Schultz and Bennett uh, announcing the sale. It's a total sham. It's a total sham. And again, I encourage the audience listening, please, 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 if this is of interest to you, watch the documentary Sonicscape. This press conference is a, is, is a complete farce. These guys, these guys, it feels like they're running like a, a flop house or they're, it, this is like a money laundering scheme, the way, the, the, the vibe of this press conference. But you haven't even gotten to the point where he sues oh, them. Of course. Of course, yeah, no. He well, sues them back to cover course, it for PR reasons. So he is a giant piece of shit. He's like, if you had a coffee cup, yeah. and it was filled with shit, and then it was filled with coffee, that is Howard Schultz. Howard Schultz. So it, it's obvious from the tone of this of this uh, press conference where they're announcing the sale that Bennett has Clay Bennett, the Oklahoma City businessman, has no intention of making a real good faith effort to keep the team in Seattle. Clay Bennett, let's pour one out for this guy here. So Clay Bennett is a private investment fund guy. Bennett was the guy that, as you mentioned before, helped temporarily relocate the Hornets to Oklahoma City after Hurricane Katrina. He is a close personal friend of David Stern's. BFF. There are a lot of heroes and villains in this story and uh, I got to say, Clay Bennett, David Stern, and Howard Schultz are on my shit list in a major way. So, so Clay, Bennett, Clay Bennett's ownership group here now makes a half-hearted effort to create uh, some sort of real financially viable plan to either repair and upgrade Key Arena or build a new facility. So, so Bennett um, takes his, his campaign to, to state government, and he suggests that taxpayers subsidize a new arena in Renton, Washington for $500 million, which at the time would have been the most expensive arena in the NBA. And Bennett's proposal is basically laughed out of the room. And again, it's, it's a completely empty gesture. It's a totally hollow gesture. No one takes this guy seriously. It's, it's basically the equivalent of setting up like um, what's it called? Like deniability where you can say like, Hey, I tried, you know, like yeah. I, I tried, like when I moved the team to Oklahoma city, you can't say I didn't try cause I tried, but it's like, it's, it's a bogus, it's a bogus offer. It's, it, it's, it's a bogus proposal. Like no one takes it in, in, in good faith. So, um, at the 11th hour, Steve Ballmer, um, the, uh, the COO or was it the COO or CEO of Microsoft, CEO. CEO of Microsoft makes an effort to buy the team away from Clay Bennett, a uh, Seattle guy. And he proposes a $300 million renovation of Key Arena, which he pledges to privately fund $150 million of his own money. 
So uh, compare this now to Clay Bennett's $500 million proposal in Renton, Washington, where ownership pledges nothing. So he, again, compare, compare the difference. $500 million, taxpayers paying all of it out of pocket, Renton, Washington, or uh, Steve Bomber buys the team. He says, let's, let's, let's try to fix up Key Arena. I'll pay half the bill. We can do it for $300 million. I'll pay half the bill myself. It, it never moves forward. And because that doesn't work out, Balmer's waiting around until Donald Sterling comes up with a reason why a team's for sale. Of course. And of course, he's not going to move it to Seattle, because why would you move a team out of L.A.? So now, fast forward to 2007 when some emails are leaked. Does this ring a bell, Jeremy? Yes. Some emails are leaked. There is a conversation between um, the new ownership group of Clay Bennett, Tom Ward, and Aubrey McClendon. Yeah, I think Clay Bennett said something along the lines of, I am a man possessed. Yes. With regards to his desire to bring a team back to OKC. Again, if this is interesting to you, please watch Sonicsgate, the documentary. This is a Watergate, Richard Nixon level scandal, as far as I'm concerned. So the exact, the exact email exchange goes something like this. Tom Ward fires off an email from Oklahoma City. Is there any way to move here for next season, or are we doomed to have another lame duck season in Seattle? Bennett replies, uh, Clay Bennett replies, I am a man possessed. We'll do everything we can. Thanks for hanging with me, boys. The game is just getting started, exclamation point. Aubrey McClendon finishes off. That's the spirit, triple exclamation point. I am willing to help any way that I can to watch ball here next year, meaning in Oklahoma. So, of course, Clay Bennett denies all of this he, uh, when, 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 when the media presses on him. When he says, I am a man possessed, he says, I was talking about, I am a man possessed to keep the team in Seattle. I'm possessed by my seriousness of I, spirit. I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm possessed with keeping the team in Seattle. I am possessed by the spirit of Sean Kemp. And Gary Payton and various other legends who have come before me. This is like the level of bullshit that's happening at this point. So now the year is 2008. Howard Schultz uh, is feeling sorry for himself. So he turns around and sues Clay Bennett. Yeah. And he sues, you, he sues Clay Bennett saying, you never intended to keep the team here. He tries to regain control of the Supersonics. I can't believe you lied. It's a, it's a, uh, he, he, he sues Bennett saying he never made a good faith effort that he was supposed to make to keep the team in Seattle as part of the initial sale. It's basically, it's a PR, it's a PR farce. He's just trying to cover his ass. He knew exactly what he was getting into. Um, So now the city of Seattle, uh, when, when it's becoming apparent that Clay Bennett has eyes for Oklahoma City. The city of Seattle takes Clay Bennett to to trial because Clay Bennett tries to void his lease with Key Arena, right? He tries to void his lease two years early and and move to Oklahoma. So the city is uh, t- takes him to court and they're completely outmatched. Um, and, and the documentary Sonic Skate does a wonderful job capturing all this. They're completely outmatched. Bennett basically has superior counsel. Before the results of the case is announced, 
The city announces they reach a settlement with Bennett, allowing him to leave his contract with the arena for a cash payout. Welcome back. At 4 p.m. today, U.S. District Judge Marsha Peckman was expected to issue her decision about whether the Sonics would have to stay in Seattle for two more years. At 4, she released this statement, quote, the parties have settled the case. Details of the settlement will be released by the parties. Then exactly one hour later, the news was made public. The NBA will be in Oklahoma City next season playing their games. So after 41 years of basketball in Seattle, the Sonics are packing up the trucks and heading to Oklahoma City. Both the team and the city reached an agreement this afternoon just before the judge was going to make her ruling. The team will pay, pay Seattle $45 million immediately, and if the city does not get another team within five years, they'll get another $30 million. Greg Nichols, Seattle mayor, falls on his sword. He lets Clay Bennett off the hook. And like that, um, the team has relocated to Oklahoma City. Yeah. Well, are we going to talk about politics? Please. All right. So Greg Nichols, two-term Seattle mayor. Mm -hmm. You're a New Yorker. Mm -hmm. You have a, I think, reasonable expectation of what a mayor is supposed to look like. Sure. Yeah. So if you you took that expectation and you shrunk it down about 10 times, Mm -hmm. that's the Seattle mayor. So the Seattle mayor has generally been a piece of shit. Um, We've had a string of inept mayors who could never do anything because we're all beholden to the city council, and it doesn't matter. So Greg Nichols, the best thing he ever did was he legalized gay marriage in Seattle. Okay. Good for him. I'm appreciative of him. It was a first-term thing, but he didn't do anything else. Yeah. He got voted out after the whole thing with the Sonics happened. And I would love to say that it was because of the Sonics, but it wasn't. You know what it was about? What? Same thing as everyone in New York's pissed off at mayors over, snow. He finished third in the primary because of snow. He probably should have finished fifth in the primary because of his Sonics decision, but he didn't. So he was terrible. It was ineffectual. But that's... That's the Seattle mayor right there. And to be clear, this guy's a Democrat. We're not playing politics. Like, neither of us have any sort of political stake in the game here. Like, this ju- this guy's just, like, uh, did a shitty job for the city. Like, there's, there's no two ways about it. Just like every other Seattle mayor. We haven't gotten to the point where you talk about the legislature. That was the final appeal, and that was why Nichols could get off the hook about the whole thing. Cause he'd be like, well, we'll just appeal to the state legislature. And so if you watch Sonic skate, there's this one guy who's super Skeletor looking. I'm Slade Gordon. Slade Gordon. Here enthusiastically to endorse Bill Bryant yes. for governor. You notice that guy? Yes. Yeah. He was a U.S. Senator. Right. More power to him. But he, he figured out a strategy back in the day, a political strategy that he won on, which was the East of the mountain strategy which was that we're going to go in and say, hey, Seattle, we don't care about you. Everything else in the state, that's what we care about. So that's what he ran on. So as soon as we hit the state legislature, we were up against that. That's why Greg Nichols' thing was a huge betrayal. You put it to the state, it will never pass. Dude, it's the fucking deniability thing that i just passing said. the buck yeah pass just pa- the buck. pass the buck this way they can't blame me right yeah. 
Like I tried, like I made a false, like good faith effort, but it's like, we know what you did, man. Like if you wanted, if you wanted to make a difference, you could have made a difference. And I would like to think that his third place finish in the primary was at least partly due to the Sonics. Cause I was pissed at him. I know a lot of people were. As part of Nichols agreement with Clay Bennett, while Seattle kept the rights to the name Supersonics, Oklahoma City retains a shared history with Seattle. All of the Supersonics statistical records now belong to the Thunder. There was no justice in any of that. Well, and that was one of the parts of all of it that I think left us all feeling terrible and betrayed, which was that we gave it all away. And when you look at the the whole judicial situation, we gave up too early. We we had clearly proved the point with the emails. Why that, did why did Nichols fold? Why did he fold? Because he has no backbone. Like it, it, sometimes you're just faced with a crisis of leadership, as we are currently in this country. But sometimes people are just they they're weak. And and why he folded on that? They had a fucking contract, man. Yeah. They had a contract with Key Arena. Yeah, so what do we get out of it? We get Clay we, Bennett had no case. We get the the right to the name in the future. You signed you signed a contract. That the, like there like it's it, it's an open and closed argument. Like there is no argument. I'm yeah. sorry. Like they're like stick to the agreement. Fine. You want to leave in two years? That's your business. But like it's just what? so bogus. Like it. It's so infuriating. It's so infuriating because like there was no good reason why that team should have voided the contract, the lease agreement that they had with the arena. Well, the the reason was that the like one, the team got handed over to pirates, and two, the whole thing got subjected to the political situation, which was weak. And I'm sorry, but the West Coast has a, an array of stupid political like institutions and and people are are morons it's it's like it was it was a disaster it, it was an atrocity it also didn't help that come on let's be real like david stern is like best friends with the guy that bought the team yeah and well, he had a vested interest he had, right like he had a vested interest in 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 relocating that team right he wanted to help out his his private investment fund friend and like so, so what? Like he, David so, Stern didn't go to bat for the city of Seattle. I've been holding off on talking about David Stern. I mean, do it, dude. But like, just, I, I, just so you know, uh, a bunch of us, we had his phone number, and we used shut to, up. We used to drunk dial him. Shut all up all the time. Shut up. Yeah, uh, we would drunk dial him, and this is the messages. most. This is the most important part of the podcast, uh, right here. Yeah, we haven't gotten to the aftermath, but like we were so bitter. Later on. And and it was this thing. We would just call him and we'd drunk dial him. I'm going to call him right now. Can you put it on speaker? Frank is growling. My dog is growling. The caller ID says David Stern, folks. You have reached the office of David Stern. We are unable to speak with you at this time, but please leave a message. Thank you. Record your message at the tone. When you are finished, hang up or press pound for more options. Hey, we're calling about the Sonics. 
206, 206, go Sonics. Oh, my goodness. So, just so you know more about the aftermath, because I think it's time to dive into this. We were so upset. We didn't know what to do. We felt traumatized. And I will admit that I called that number a hundred times. Let him know what I thought. But the worst was in 2012, when Oklahoma City, the team that was our team... That was your team. ...was in the finals against Miami. And they did heat maps about who was rooting for who. And the only people rooting for Miami were in Florida and Washington State. I called. I called David Stern. And that day they, they answered. And they didn't have an answer for me. But What'd they say? What'd you ask? They said, I want to talk about the Sonics. They said, well, we'll get back to you. And I, I respect that they're answering the phone. You know, if, if you're going to deal with a situation of an upset fan base, answer the phone. But we were upset, and we, we reveled in the fact that they lost. And the only thing better than OKC losing in 2012 was Durant leaving. When he went to the Warriors, I felt vindicated. People ask me about Westbrook all the time. Like, is he a Sonic? No, he's not a Sonic. He never played a damn game. He never yeah. scored a point for a Son- yeah. for the Sonics. Yeah. But You know, we've been friends for a while. And you've had this position about the Oklahoma City f- uh, for as long as, yeah, for as long as I've known you. And uh, I didn't always totally understand it. Like, I mean, I, 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 I understood where you were coming from. I understood that you were upset. But I didn't, like I, I alluded to at the beginning of this podcast, I didn't understand necessarily why you were upset. I knew you were upset. And I was like, yeah, I'm sure if the Knicks were relocated, I'd be pissed too. But if I understood the Knicks were robbed and like, like pirates came to New York and like robbed my team, it, it would be so much more personal. And I just, I want to say on a friend to friend level, like I never... I, I really get where you're coming from with that. Well, thank you. Yeah. Novelist, poet, filmmaker, and Spokane native Sherman Alexi is featured prominently throughout the Sonicsgate documentary. At one point, he reflects on the ownership tenure of Howard Schultz. You know, Howard Schultz took Starbucks from a little shop in, in Pike Place into an international sensation. That's amazing. But in terms of his decisions, his business decisions, uh, his power, his rise to fame, I guess what it came down to, the rise of his company into an international conglomerate turned him into an international conglomerate himself. And he forgot, you know, consciously, subconsciously, unconsciously, he forgot that he's also a member of this community. So his decision to sell the team to outside interests was a betrayal of his community. And I think that was possible because he's, he's, he has long since stopped thinking of himself as being a member of a community. Let's talk about some conclusions here and kind of some big picture things. We've sort of touched on this right now, but when we make a list of good guys and bad guys in, in this story, uh, in the story of the ownership heist, 
you know, in terms of people with blood on their hands and people with no blood on their hands and, you know, who's culpable and who's not culpable. Who are our clear-cut villains and bad guys? And it's, it seems to me pretty clearly, you know, we have Clay Bennett, we have Howard Schultz, we have David Stern, we have Greg Nichols in our bad guy camp. Is there anyone else you want to mention? Is there, is, what am I missing? I, I, I think McClendon yeah. gets in that camp, but um, I think most of the others don't. I mean, that when, when it got to the state legislature and... And Christian Gregoire is involved, and does she care? Did she run on that? Right, she didn't. So we can blame her if we want, but I don't. I don't think we really need to. We should blame Jim McIlvain for taking the money. We should blame Wally Walker for giving him the money. Yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of other people to blame, but I think that's that's the extent of it. If you take those eight people out of the mix, who are some of the good guys in this story? I think there are a lot of good guys. Balmer Balmer made a real proposal, right? He tried. I he mean, tried. he's not really a good guy, but yeah. I think the good guys are But here. he certainly made an effort, right? He like, made, he, he, made he, an effort. he was one of the guys that was like, I'd like to keep the team here, and here's a real idea. I think uh, top of my list of, of good guys, Kevin Glabro. Yeah. He was uh, he was our our announcer. announcer right. He was amazing. He was like the best <clears throat> announcer in the league. And when they moved to OKC, he was like I'm out. I'm not me. Yeah. 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 He said he, I mean, he was that guy. So, um, I, I think there's, there's a lot of people like that who, who probably made choices that were noble principled choices. I think like, I mean, it sounds obvious, like the fans and like the folks behind the, the Sonicsgate documentary, like those seem like real sincere people, uh, players, some of the guys like Gary Payton, Sam Perkins, who've advocated for bringing the Sonics back home, those sure. seem they're like they don't have to do that, right? They don't and, have to. and Durant, for his yeah sake, has has done. This. Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, please welcome back to Key Arena, Kevin Durant. It's really wild to see, and look what he's wearing as he comes out. That is cool. First off. I want to get a shout out to the Seattle Storm for holding it down and winning the championship. Much love. On behalf of myself, NBA, and my organization, my teammates, we'd like to thank you guys for coming out and supporting us. I know it's been a rough 10 years. NBA is back in the Seattle for tonight, but hopefully it's back forever soon. Seattle is the 13th largest market in the country. How do they not have a basketball team? If nothing else, it just seems like an awful business model. Like, what am I missing there, right? Like, how does this? How does the city of Seattle not have a basketball team? Because the NBA has a conflict of interest. That's sad, but what? we should. I mean, there's no there's no capitalistic reason why they don't have a team, right? What are the prospects of a te- of a team returning to Seattle? Do you feel confident? I, I think it's probably going to happen. We've been approved for a hockey team. There's people investing in that, and that's all great. But what I don't want to see is I don't want to see us take someone else's team. Pillage another city, yeah. Yeah, and... and I mean, there was talk about Sacramento. There was talk about Phoenix. Well, I've read different stories. It's this, like... The Sacramento thing was so amazing because you had Kevin Johnson, who was a former NBA player who was mayor of Sacramento, and he kept it from happening. It was his signature thing. And yeah. then he went on to kind of a inglorious end to his career. But give him credit. 
for keeping that from happening. And I was rooting against it. I will admit, I, I was rooting against it. Like, I don't want any other you, team to have to deal with this. This is unfair. I bet most most Sonics fans, like, if you gave them truth serum, would say the same thing. Like, they don't want to put innocent fans and people through, like, what you, like, what Seattle, Seattleites have just been through with their team. Unless we can take OKC back <laughs> and get that would Durant be sweet. That back. would be sweet. Can we talk about... This is kind of like a political ethics question here, but key arena. So, like, what is an adequate arena? Like, we we touched on this with with your conversation about Barclays and luxury suites, but you know, as fans of like live events, sports, like, what do we really need in a facility? You know, we need some decent sight lines. You know, you were joking around about watching. Uh, <laughs> Uh, watching games at at the uh, the Sky Dome, and not at being Kingdom, able to, yeah. at the Kingdom, not being able to tell whether it was Larry Bird or uh, Tom Chambers. Um, you know, we need some decent sidelines. We need some good acoustics, right? If it's a concert, we need some good acoustics. We need some adequate access to and from games vis-a-vis public transportation. We need some clean bathrooms. We need some concessions, right? Get some food. Really, beyond that, like. What else, what else do we need? And it, when we think about the story of the Seattle Sonics being robbed, it seems like David Stern and Howard Schultz and Clay Bennett got greedy and they wanted to build a high-end shopping mall in Seattle. And, and the city wouldn't play ball and so ownership packed their bags. And I, I, I don't mean to say, because I never... I never went to key arena and I I don't mean to say that like the facility was perfect and I'm sure it needed improvements and I I'm sure it wasn't like a modern, whatever. I'm sure it wasn't a modern stadium, but I I know this much. I've been to the new Yankee stadium (laughs) and it's like they knocked down the old Yankee stadium. They built a new one across the street in the Bronx and the new place let's be real. Like it has like a a sushi restaurant. It has a steakhouse. It's, it's for it's for Wall Street guys. Like like that's what that place is. And that's fine, but just be nakedly honest about what you're doing. And I, as far as I'm concerned, it sounded like Key Arena like probably needed some upgrades, but like they didn't need a $500 million complex. I guess what I want to what I want to have a conversation about is like wh- what do we really need in a sports arena? And and what is it what is it responsible and fair to ask people to pay for taxpayers specifically well i think it's significant when you look at what schultz bought it for yeah and sold it for yeah so he, what he bought it for 200 million and yep. he sold it for 350 yeah howard schultz's decision to sell it to them is the big mistake so whose fault was it it's his and there are a lot of people I know who made big talk about lifetime coffee boycotts. We're never going to go to Starbucks. I know a few people actually have like lived up to it. But Schultz knew he could get, get away with it in Seattle, which is sad. But he did. So, yeah. All right. Is there anything you want to uh, share in closing any any final thoughts here while we're on the while we're on the uh, topic of the Seattle SuperSonics? I think that 
it's worth noting that not all bad things are bad. And what came out of the Sonics leaving, we were very upset. It was hard to explain. I know I moved to New York right around that time, and I talked to people about the whole thing, and they'd be like, well, you didn't support your team. It's like, you don't understand. What I think was important was that it set us up to be better sports fans. The Sounders showed up shortly thereafter, and they were loudly embraced. And the Legion of Boom Seahawks came about not too long after that, and we were ready for them. We were ready for Richard Sherman because we knew Gary Payton. So I, I, I think as Seattle sports fans, we're better off for the whole thing. We just want our team back. Just give us the OKC Thunder and Durant, and we'll be good to go. All right, Jeremy. On that note, we are pulling for the city of Seattle. We are pulling for an expansion franchise. Personally, I think it's going to happen. I don't know when. I think it's going to happen probably in the next, I don't know. 17 years. No, I think five years. Yeah, just don't take someone else's team. That's not cool. I'm not cool with another team being poached. The NBA is printing money. Hear that? That's that's my thing. Like the NBA is printing money. Who's who's the league, making the least money right now? Um, New Orleans. I know the Pelicans are struggling. That was always the central absurdity of the whole thing. It's like, <laughs> oh well, if you want New Orleans team. Take them. Right. I fully support expanding the league. The league is printing money. It's never been more popular. I don't need to sell you or the audience on how viable a city Seattle, Washington is. People out there are nuts about the team. They will go apeshit if there's a, a franchise back. So uh, we, are, we are pulling for the city of Seattle. We are pulling for the Sonics. Um, to the audience listening, thank you for listening to all of these podcasts uh, go watch Sonic Skate Requiem for a team. It's available. It's streaming all over the internet. Just Google it. Um, Jeremy, thank you very much. This is a lot of fun, and uh, we will talk to you later in this NBA season. Thanks, Chris. All right, we're going to hit pause for now on the Seattle Supersonics deep dive. Stay tuned. Let's hope there's more to this story. Big thanks to Jeremy Angle Johnson. My name's Chris Wendelkin. This is On The Line. You can tweet at me at onthelinepod underscore pod. Email me at onthelinepod at gmail.com. Check out previous episodes on the website, onthelinepodcast.com. Hop into a deep dive at Draft. It's all up there. Please rate, review, subscribe to the show in Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. Seattle, we love you. Enjoy NBA hoops, and I'll talk to you guys next week.